We want to provide a brief warning before we begin discussing the Green Children of Woolpit. This episode of Agitan Explained may contain unsettling descriptions and could potentially be distressing for some listeners. We understand that some of our listeners may find the contents of this episode difficult to hear and we advise caution if you are easily affected by such topics. However, if you are feeling brave and curious, we invite you to join us and delve into the enigmatic case of the Green Children of Woolpit. Together, we will explore this fascinating medieval folktale that has been passed down through generations and try to uncover the truth behind this mysterious and captivating tale. The Green Children of Woolpit is a medieval folktale about two siblings with green skin and an unknown language who were found in the village of Woolpit, Suffolk, England. They adjusted to their new life, but the boy soon died after baptism. The girl explained that they came from a land where everything was dark, or from a place called St Martin's Land. The story has been interpreted as a folktale or a distorted account of an actual event. Although the truth is debated, the story has been passed down through generations and inspired works of fiction. It is important to remember that this was a real person who met a tragic end. We encourage our listeners to reflect on the impact that this case has had on the lives of those involved, and to approach this episode with empathy and sensitivity. We value your support and would like to encourage you to like, subscribe or leave a review on your preferred platform if you have enjoyed this episode. We are also interested in hearing your thoughts and insights on this case. However, we would like to reiterate the importance of being respectful and considerate towards those who have been affected by these unexplained phenomena. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of our podcast. We hope that you find the mystery of the green children of Woolpit as intriguing as we do, and we look forward to exploring more mysteries with you in the future. As we delve into the mystery, it is crucial to remember that this is not just a story, but possibly an event and tragedy that befell a young girl and her brother. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, the story of the green children continues to fascinate and haunt us to this day. As we explore the mystery together, we urge you to approach it with an open mind. The Tale The eerie legend of the green children of Woolpit 
tells the tale of a strange brother and sister who appeared in the village of Woolpit, with skin of an unearthly green hue, an unknown language on their tongues, and a peculiar appetite for raw broad beans. Whatever the truth, the story of the green children continues to fascinate and bewilder those who hear it. The tale unfolds in the village of St Mary's of the Wolf Pits, Woolpit, which is located in the county of Suffolk, East Anglia, about seven miles east of the town of Bury St Edmunds. During the Middle Ages, it belonged to the Abbey of Bury St Edmunds and was part of one of the most densely populated areas in rural England. The village was named after the wolf pits that were used to trap wolves that threatened livestock. The pits were lined with wooden stakes and sometimes covered with leaves or branches to conceal them. When a wolf fell into the pit, it would be trapped there until the hunters returned to kill it. Wolf pits were typically used in conjunction with other methods of wolf control, such as hunting parties and fencing. This was during the 12th century, a time when the sun set early, casting a deep twilight over the village. The locals were a superstitious lot, prone to see omens and portents in the slightest change of the weather. The quaint and serene village of Woolpit was about to experience an unprecedented level of excitement on what should have been an ordinary harvest day. As the villagers eagerly set out to collect the season's spoils, during this time period, the farmers in the area grew a variety of crops, such as wheat, barley, oats, rye and beans. They would use these crops to make different food items such as bread, porridge and beer. In addition to these staple crops, other crops like peas, lentils and vegetables such as cabbages and onions were also grown. The villagers stumbled upon an eerie and unsettling sight emerging from one of the wolf pits. In an idyllic field nestled between rolling hills, there were children. But these were not ordinary children. They appeared suddenly, as if out of thin air. And they were strange. Their clothes were made of a material unknown to the villagers, and their speech was incomprehensible. The children's appearance was nothing short of eerie, their skin was a sickly shade of green, a colour that defied explanation and left those who saw them in awe and disbelief. The villagers were bewildered and frightened by these otherworldly children. They could not fathom where they had come from or what they wanted. The children seemed to be lost, adrift in a world that was not their own, and yet there was something about them that was undeniably unsettling. The discovery of the green children, siblings of an unusual skin colour, was a sight to behold for the harvesters who stumbled upon them. They were brought into the town to be gawked at and marvelled upon, their presence causing a stir amongst the local population. However, their arrival was shrouded in mystery, and their unknown origins made their appearance all the more unsettling. The villagers, sensing something eerie and unnatural, brought the strange pair to the home of the local knight, Richard de Colm, in hopes of finding some answers to their many questions. It was there that the children were to be sheltered, 
watched over and studied as the people of Woolpit tried to uncover the truth behind the strange and inexplicable phenomena. The green children of Woolpit wept incessantly and wailed in despair. Their pitiful cries echoed throughout the village, sending shivers down the spines of those who heard them. The villagers, perplexed by the children's unusual appearance and behaviour, offered them bread, but the children refused to eat or even touch the food. The villagers were startled by the children's unwavering determination to starve themselves. Day after day, the children grew weaker and weaker, their eyes sunken and their skin paler than ever before. The villagers were horrified by the children's strange and unsettling behaviour, wondering if they were being punished by some otherworldly force. Despite their efforts to help them, the children remained elusive and mysterious, their green skin and inscrutable language leaving the villagers with more questions than answers. According to legend, the green children of Warpit were presented with fresh beans from the harvest, which they eagerly accepted. However, their joy was short-lived, when they discovered that the stalks of the beans were hollow, with no beans inside. Overcome with disappointment, they began to cry, their sorrow palpable. The two siblings continued to refuse all food until a bystander showed them how to open the pods of broad beans. The green children survived for months on this diet, consisting solely of the raw beans, until they learned to eat bread and other foods. As their diet changed, they gradually lost their green hue, which many people believed was a result of their new diet. As the days went by, the green children gradually started learning English, or at least the archaic English spoken by the 12th century. They began to pick up on the villagers' language, but still communicated in their own strange tongue. It was a peculiar sound. The younger of the two children was overcome with a deep sense of melancholy, which clung to him like a shroud, until it was too much for his frail and sickly body to bear. He passed from this world into the next, leaving behind his older sister, who was left to navigate the unfamiliar and unwelcoming world without him, with nothing but their bizarre and unexplainable story to keep her company. The girl survived, but her health was not robust. Despite her green hue, she was able to learn English and assimilate into village life. Her skin gradually lost its otherworldly colour, until she was indistinguishable from those around her. However, her origins remain a mystery, and she would often recount tales of a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. Her voice would grow hushed as she described the verdant world where everything was green and the inhabitants had an unsettling aura about them. Villagers would shudder as they listened, sensing that there was more to the story than met the eye. The girl's words seemed to emanate from a place beyond their understanding, as if she were describing a realm whose very existence was beyond their comprehension. Yet, despite the unease and mystery that surrounded her, 
the girl continued to integrate into village life, with one notable exception, her behaviour. According to the girl's explanation, she and her brother came from a place called St. Martin's Land, where there was no sunlight, and the light was similar to twilight. Everything in St. Martin's Land was green, including the people. Their world was an expanse that seemed to go on endlessly, separated from their home by a great river which flowed with a sinister energy. The inhabitants in the land had no knowledge of the outside world. They were but dwellers in a lonely and isolated place, where the mundane and the extraordinary intertwined. Their belief in a higher power was evident with the presence of the churches they had built, and they greatly venerated St. Martin. Yet, despite their religious devotion, an eerie feeling of isolation and detachment permeated the air. It was as though they were lost in a world that was not their own, a world that was both fascinating and terrifying. The green children had been tending their father's flock, when they heard the sweet sound of church bells in the distance. The melody was enchanting and irresistible, beckoning them to follow it, drawing them deeper into the unknown. As they ventured further, the light began to get brighter, replaced by a strange, eerie brightness that bathed their surroundings in an otherworldly glow. The air grew thick and heavy, suffused with a palpable sense of unease, as they stumbled upon a cavern that would change their lives forever. The siblings wandered through the cavern, their eyes adjusting to the dim light. The air grew colder, and the sound of their footsteps echoed eerily through the cave. Suddenly, they emerged on the other side, and were blinded by a blinding light. It was like nothing they had ever seen before, the brightness disorientated them, and they stumbled around, lost and confused. The light was so intense that it felt like it was burning into their skin. The girl was a strange and lively creature, full of secrets and mischief. She worked in the service of the night with which she had stayed, but her true nature was never fully revealed. Despite her oddities, she managed to attract the attention of a man of nobility, in the nearby town, King's Lynn, a town located about 40 miles from Woolpit. But even as she settled into her new life, there remained an air of mystery and unease about her. Some say that she remained happy and content, but others whispered that she was never truly at home in this world. The Sources William's Story The tale of the green children of Woolpit is one that has endured through the centuries, captivating and haunting the minds of those who have heard it. William of Newburgh and Ralph of Coggleshaw, two medieval chroniclers, are the only near-contemporary accounts of the mysterious green children of Woolpit. The only other mention of the green children is in passing in William Camden's Britannia in 1586. 
and two works from the early 17th century. Their two approaches have dominated the explanations of the mystery. William of Newburgh published his account of the Green Children of Walpit, Historia Rerum Anglicarum, 31 years before Ralph of Coggleshaw. However, this does not necessarily mean that their writings were not composed around the same time. It is possible that they were written years or even decades before their publication, and that their respective books contained various other tales and recordings. Despite this initial scepticism, William was ultimately convinced to record the tale of the Green Children after being presented with incontrovertible evidence from sources he deemed reliable and trustworthy. Despite the story's fantastical nature, driven by a sense of duty to document the remarkable and the unusual, the lauded historian was left utterly flabbergasted by the astounding discovery. He found it to be a miraculous event. William was known to be quite discerning when it came to the sources, only including what he perceived to be reliable and criticised those that didn't make the cut. From his writings, he appeared to believe that the story was true, at least in part, whether in its origins or as a metaphor, or possibly as a whole. William's account appears to be based on hearsay, as he himself did not witness the events and instead relied on second-hand sources. Despite his initial scepticism, he felt compelled to believe the story due to a number of trustworthy reports he received. As a distant chronicler, Williams had to rely on a plethora of written letters from his various informants, and did not have direct access to those involved in the Walpit events. Therefore, his account is possibly less reliable than that of one of a contemporary chronicler who was closer to the events. Ralph's story. Ralph of Coggleshall, a distinguished chronicler, was renowned for his penchant for first-hand accounts, often relayed to him orally rather than in writing. In stark contrast, William of Newburgh's version of events, published decades later, appears to have borrowed heavily from Ralph's earlier account. However, some scholars argue that Ralph's account may have been written around the same time, if not earlier, than William's, casting doubt on the notion of one chronicler copying from the other. Ralph of Coggleshall was geographically closer to Woolpit, and the specifically named Richard de Colne, the knight who took the green children in, as the source. It is possible that neither historian saw the other's work prior to their writing. Alternatively, one may have influenced the other. However, it is noteworthy that the two accounts are nearly identical, while still containing some minor discrepancies. According to William, the green children of Woolpit appeared during King Stephen's reign, from 1135 to 1154. Conversely, Ralph places their arrival during the reign of King Henry II, from 1154 to 1189. In Williams's account, the children hail from St Martin's Land, a Christian culture that he specifically mentions. However, Ralph's version omits any mention of this detail. Ralph of Coggleshall mentions the siblings' journey through the cave to Woolpit, while William of Newburgh's does not. 
However, in the basis of this story and many of its details, they are the same. It is told that the children were tending to their livestock when they became lost. Their homeland was shrouded in perpetual darkness, where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. The sound of bells drew them towards the cave, where they followed their flock into the unknown. They eventually emerged in our world, confused and disorientated. The siblings spoke an unknown language, and the only food they would eat was raw beans. They were eventually baptised, but sadly the boy died soon after. The girl learned English and lost her green colour. The order of the events is a bit unclear, but regardless, the two accounts are remarkably similar. Rather than stealing from each other's accounts, William and Ralph complement each other's stories by offering unique details. William tells us of the children's subterranean homeland, while Ralph provides more information on the girl's fate, frequently recounting the tales he heard from Richard de Colne and his family. Rather than relying on duplication to tell their tale, both authors add depth to the mystery of the green children by providing distinctive and intriguing narratives. Williams's account of the green children is more figurative and poetic, whereas Ralph's account is more literal and he is unusually reliant on phrases from other accounts. This suggests that Ralph may not have known about Williams's work, as he does not appear to reuse any of Williams' words and phrases. Ralph's approach is more conservative and not as imaginative as Williams's. Williams's account is more evocative and creative, using vivid language to describe the mysterious appearance of the green children. In contrast, Ralph is more straightforward and factual in his description of the events. Ralph's account is more grounded in reality, while Williams is more fantastical and imaginative. Moreover, it is worth noting that Ralph of Coggleshall excluded the most extraordinary aspect of the story, which was the name of the land of St Martins and its peculiarities. Nevertheless, both Williams of Newburgh and Ralph were prepared to address the supernatural so long as it achieved a specific purpose. They attached great significance to their credibility and the impact of their writing. As such, it is apparent that they approached the green children of Woolpit with a sense of caution and responsibility. The accounts of William and Ralph differ slightly in their details. While Ralph names Richard de Colne as his source, and William remains vague about his. William places the story during the reign of King Stephen, sometime between 1135 and 1154, whereas Ralph makes no mention of the knight, Ralph is more confident in his descriptions. Despite the discrepancy, both authors recorded the tale of the green children. Richard's testimony lends credence to the tale, as there is an actual person who allegedly provides updates on the girl and the situation in the Woolpit. In contrast, Ralph recounts that the girl continues to work for the night for numerous years, though she eventually becomes loose and wanton in her behaviour, although she appears to blend in with the rest of society. Switching back to Williams's account, it is revealed that the girl integrated into her new life smoothly. In fact, she went on to marry a man residing in the neighbouring town of Lynn. At the time of Williams's writing, 
she had already been living there for a number of years. Unfortunately, this is the extent of the information that can be extracted from their respective narratives. Nevertheless, by weaving together the threads of their stories, a more fluid and dynamic narrative can be constructed. The story of the Green Children of Woolpit is meant to be perceived as an actual occurrence, even if only by the authors who themselves doubted its authenticity. While it may be exaggerated, it was intended to have some historical relevance, thus the enigma of the Green Children persists, along with the question of the girl's fate after her marriage to a man of noble status. Her identity remains shrouded in mystery, almost as much as her fate. Her name, if ever she had one, has been lost to the ages. The enigma surrounding the Green Children of Woolpit persists for centuries until it was rediscovered, and only in recent times has it gained the notoriety that it holds today. Numerous investigations have been conducted to ascertain the veracity of the existence of the tale of the Green Children. However, one intriguing new assertion has surfaced, which does not appear in the original two accounts. It postulates that the female child has been identified. This claim arises from the research undertaken by Duncan Lunan, an accomplished astronomer and renowned expert on extraterrestrial life. Duncan Lunan believed that the girl's name was Agnes Barr, and that she married a nobleman named Richard Barr, who was an ambassador to Henry II. According to Lunan, the couple had several children, and their descendants still exist to this day. Lunan's research into Richard de Colm's family history led him to conclude that the girl was given the name Agnes, and that she later married Richard Barr, who was of noble status in Lynn. Lunan's findings indicate that the green girl's story did not end with her baptism, but rather continued throughout her life as she married into nobility and had a family of her own. The notion that the girl had been christened Agnes and wedded to Richard Barr is a contentious one. Despite the considerable research conducted by Duncan Lunan, while his work is impressive, some of his claims are flawed, with discrepancies in timelines and names, as well as some baseless assumptions. Nonetheless, this theory remains popular, and it is up to the listener to draw their own conclusions. Regardless of her name and marital status, the impact of the girl's story remains unchanged, and it continues to captivate and mystify audiences to this day. Possible Explanations Numerous theories have been proposed to unravel the mystery of the Green Children of Woolpit. Some of the more radical hypotheses suggest that the siblings hailed from a subterranean realm or had unknowingly traversed a portal from a parallel universe. Others postulate that the children were extraterrestrial visitors who had inadvertently landed on our planet. To further elaborate, 
several interpretations have been offered to shed light on this enigmatic tale, ranging from the mundane to the fantastical. Regardless, the story of the green-skinned children who emerged from the wolf pit in the village of Woolpit remains a captivating legend that continues to fascinate and intrigue us to this day. According to Duncan Lunan, the green children's arrival on Earth was due to an error in the transmission of matter from another planet. This malfunction caused the siblings to journey across the galaxy, finding themselves stranded in Woolpit. Some theorists have suggested that the green children's skin colour may have been due to the presence of arsenic, adding a sinister twist to their tale. Others have even speculated that these siblings were the real-life counterparts to the fabled babes in the wood, suggesting the inspiration for the enduring folktale. While this theory cannot be completely ruled out, it remains a tantalising possibility in a story already steeped in mystery and intrigue. The predominant theory regarding the green children of Woolpit, while rather ordinary, was proposed by Paul Harris in Fortean Studies 4 in 1998. According to Harris, the incident likely occurred in 1173, during the reign of King Henry II, and is linked to the persecution of Flemish weavers and merchants who had emigrated to England from the 11th century onwards. The persecution of these immigrants culminated in a brutal battle at Fornham in Suffolk. The battle was fought between forces loyal to Henry II and a rebel army led by Hugh Bigod, Earl of Norfolk. The rebel's supporters were supported by Louis VII of France, who sent troops to aid the Earl of Norfolk. The battle resulted in a decisive victory for Henry II's forces, and the rebels were forced to surrender. The aftermath of the battle was marked by a wave of persecution against Flemish weavers and merchants who had emigrated to England. Harris suggests that the green children probably lived in or near the village of Fornham St Martin, explaining the St Martin's reference in their story. This village, located a few miles from Walpit, is separated from it by the River Lark, which was likely the very considerable river mentioned by the girl in her account. According to the theory put forward by Harris, a pair of Flemish siblings orphaned in the midst of a brutal conflict sought refuge within the confines of the dense and foreboding Thetford Forest. Here they struggled to survive, scrounging for sustenance in the form of meagre rations. As a result of malnutrition, their skin began to take on a sickly pallor, a curious shade of green. Driven by hunger and desperation, the children were eventually drawn to the sound of the church bells of Bury St Edmunds, a beacon of hope and safety in the dark and terrifying world. It is said they stumbled upon one of the many subterranean mine passages that snaked their way through the bowels of Grimes' graves, ancient flint mines that date back over four millennia to the Neolithic period. The children made their way through subterranean tunnels until they emerged in Woolpit. They appeared otherworldly to the villagers who had never encountered Flemish speakers, with their undernourished frames and peculiar garments, 
to describe their state as emaciated would have been an understatement. Their clothes were foreign and bizarre, and their speech unintelligible. The children seemed to hail from a different world altogether, one that was beyond the comprehension of the simple villagers. Harris's hypothesis, while ingenious, provides only a partial explanation for the enigmatic green children of Woolpit. The idea of Flemish orphans being displaced and accounted for by the appearance of the green children is fraught with inconsistencies. When King Henry II came to power and expelled Flemish mercenaries previously employed by King Stephen from the country, the Flemish weavers and merchants who had lived in England for generations were largely unaffected. In the Battle of Fornham in 1176, Flemish mercenaries employed to fight against the armies of King Henry II were slaughtered alongside the rebel knights they had been fighting alongside. Thus it seems unlikely that Flemish orphans would have appeared in Woolpit during this time period. Considering the circumstances, it seems unlikely that the Flemish soldiers who came to England as mercenaries would have brought their families along with them. Following their defeat, the surviving Flemish soldiers dispersed throughout the region and many were met with hostility from the local populace, resulting in their deaths. It stands to reason that a man of Richard de Colne's stature or any of his household or guests would have possessed the education necessary to recognise that the language spoken by the children was in fact Flemish, given that it was likely spoken to some extent in the eastern part of England at that time. Harris's theory that the green children wandered into Thetford Forest and were drawn to Woolpit by the sound of bells from Bury St Edmunds is geographically problematic. The town of Bury St Edmunds is located 40 kilometres away from Thetford Forest, making it unlikely that the children could have heard the sound of church bells from such a distance. Thus, this explanation is rendered doubtful by the simple consideration of geography. Moreover, the flint mines are limited to the vicinity of Thetford Forest, and there are no subterranean passageways that lead to Woolpit. Even if there were, the distance between the forest and Woolpit exceeds almost 50 kilometres, which would be an unimaginable journey for two emaciated children. Even if the green children had originated from Fornham St Martin, it would still be a strenuous 16-kilometre trek to Woolpit. As for the considerable river mentioned by the girl, the river Lark is too narrow to be considered as such. Folklore In examining the tale of the green children, one finds themselves with little information to work from. However, over the span of centuries, a plethora of prominent theories have been put forth in an attempt to explain the enigmatic account. To delve deeper into the mystery, one must explore the multitude of explanations that have surfaced. There are two possible interpretations for the legend of the green children of Walpit. One as an historical account of actual events, and the other as a piece of folklore meant to be understood symbolically. For the sake of exploration, let's delve into the more fantastical possibilities first, 
before moving on to the more plausible explanations. Perhaps the most intriguing notion posited by the tale is the idea that the green children originated from a land perpetually shrouded in a serene and peaceful twilight. If this hypothesis were to be proven true, it would undoubtedly constitute one of the most remarkable discoveries in human history. Though the concept of a subterranean civilization may seem novel, it is in fact an age-old idea that has persisted since about ancient times, referenced in numerous historical texts and folklore. Despite originating in the 12th century, the theory of a hollow earth or Agatha has endured for centuries, imbuing this tale with an air of mystique and wonder. The concept of an underground world filled with beings such as fairies is a recurring theme in folklore. Whether it be a religious or mystical concept, like the underworld or a wondrous land filled with a peculiar variation of the human race, the idea of subterranean civilization has been present in many cultural traditions. If fairies are believed to dwell underground and are associated with nature or colours such as green, then it is possible that the legend of the green children of Warpit is a retelling of this timeless folklore, merging the traditional idea of fairies with English history. The question arises as to why two distinct historians would take the time to chronicle the tale of the green children of Warpit, a story that presents as fact but is steeped in fantastical elements. The hollow earth theory, which some have used to explain the children's origins, has been thoroughly debunked, rendering any connection of it tenuous at best. Even in the context of the story itself, the inexplicable nature of the children's appearance and the speech, along with their peculiar diet of raw broad beans, leaves much to the imagination in light of these discrepancies. One question that has been raised is how the children's St Martin's Land could have been Christian. Furthermore, it is unclear why such a civilization has never been discovered. Another mystery is why the girl, as far as we know, never attempted to return to her homeland, adding to the enigma the cave where the children supposedly emerged from was never found, nor any other cave in the area fitting such a description. According to Charles Oman, a 20th century scholar of folklore, one aspect of the Green Children's tale that stood out was the concept of entering a different reality by way of a cave. This theme was not unique to the story. Gerald of Wales, a medieval historian, recounted a similar tale of a truant schoolchild who stumbled upon two pygmies. The pygmies led him down an underground passage to a breathtaking realm replete with verdant fields and winding rivers. However, the light there was not as bright as that of the sun, casting a diffused ethereal glow over the land. E. W. Borman's F103.1 category of English and North American folklore motifs lists the specific motif that refers to the green children as poorly attested. It describes... Inhabitants of lower world visit mortals and continue to live with them. Mikhail Madej similarly argues that the tale of the green children is part of a popular scheme of imagination, originating in the territories of England and Wales, that of passing through a cave to another world. 
In other words, the story of the Green Children is a rare and unique folktale motif that is not well represented in the folklore of England and North America. According to Martin Walsh, the tale of the Green Children is a, a distorted account of an atavistic harvest ritual, with significant references to St Martin, which he believed is evidence of the origins of Martinmas in an English Aboriginal past, of which the children's story forms the lowest stratum. However, John Clark disputes Walsh's conclusions, arguing that there is no proof of St Martin as a figure with other world connections, or to link the children with an atavistic harvest ritual. Madej links the hypothetical St. Martin's land to the saint himself. In agreement with Anne Whitty's prior argument for a connection between St. Martin and the other world, St. Martin was a symbol of death and the psychopomp of the period, typically depicted upon a horse and carrying a stick that symbolised resurrection. Madej also posits that the two children may represent both life and death, much like the Green Knight of near-contemporaneous tales. The change in the children's pigmentation could symbolise the passage from death to life, with the revival occurring above ground. The consumption of beans has garnered the attention of scholars of folklore. K. M. Briggs notes that the children's diet primarily consisted of beans, which were believed to be the food of the deceased. This observation was previously made in her 1967 publication, The Fairies in English Tradition and Literature. However, John Clark expressed scepticism towards the existence of such a tradition, and posits that this association is unfounded. Nevertheless, he concurs that the beans hold cultural significance as a food associated with death. Furthermore, Madej contends that the consumption of broad beans, which were considered symbols of decay and mortality since ancient times, carries dual meaning, as they are also linked to renewal. Historical Reasonings According to Geoffrey Jerome Cohen, the narrative of the Green Children is an allegory for racial differentiation, an availed commentary on the Welsh. The tale is viewed as a remembrance of England's past and the conquest of the indigenous Britons by the Anglo-Saxons, followed by the Norman invasion. Cohen argues that the Green Children represent a reminder of this history and its impact on the English identity. William of Newburgh, albeit reluctantly, incorporates the story of the Green Children into his account of a mostly unified and homogenous England. In his analysis of the account of the Green Children, Cohen draws a comparison between William of Newburgh's factual and sobering narrative and Geoffrey of Monmouth's The History of the Kings of Britain, a work that in William's estimation abounds with unbridled and delusional fabrications. While Geoffrey's history depicts the reigns of a previous monarchs and the kingdoms of various ethnicities, Williams's England represents a society in which all peoples are either absorbed into the dominant culture 
or are relegated to the fringes of society. Though his juxtaposition of these two works, Cohen suggests that the story of the green children is an attempt to reconcile the historical reality of a multicultural society with the prevailing mythic narratives of the time. Cohen argues that the appearance of the green children disrupts Williams's idealised view of the unified England. They embody both ethnic and cultural differences between Normans and Anglo-Saxons, as they hail from St Martin's Land, named after Martin of Tours. Notably, the only other reference to this saint in Williams's writing is in relegation to St Martin's Abbey in Hastings, which commemorates the Norman victory in 1066. Thus, the green children serve as a reminder of the Norman conquest and the resulting cultural and linguistic changes brought to England. Their presence challenges the idea of a homogenous England, and instead highlights the complexity and diversity of its people and history. Cohen's interpretation underscores the significance of the green children as a symbol of the tensions and nuances in medieval England. The tale of the green children is not only a fanciful account of unusual skin colour, but also a metaphorical representation of the pre-Anglia-sized inhabitants of the British Isles, the Welsh, Irish and Scots. In this interpretation, the green children symbolise those who were forcibly assimilated into English culture, the boy who stubbornly clings to his otherness and ultimately perishes, represents a world that cannot be subjugated nor annexed. His death is a poignant reminder of the price such worlds pay for their endurance. The erudite Catherine Clarke posits that, despite being frequently dismissed as whimsical flights of fancy, these tales of the fantastic are in fact pivotal to the author's overreaching narrative. Reflecting that the collective trauma of the anarchy, Newberg's musings on the extraordinary coalesce around the common theme of quotidian existence, unravelling in the face of inexplicable phenomena that elude rational comprehension. None of the prevailing theories provide a completely satisfactory explanation. Perhaps it is best to revisit the fundamental aspects of the story, could it be a mere folktale, passed down from the community, or might it actually be an historical event? The latter possibility is supported by the fact that the story was recorded by two separate historians. However, it is worth noting that both of these chroniclers were known for writing about ghosts, vampires and other supernatural beings. In contrast, the story of the green children is presented as reality, lending it a unique quality. William hesitated to document it, yet he was compelled to do so. At the time, it was common for historians to copy each other's work, but the accounts of the green children of Woolpit make no reference to each other and do not borrow any sections despite minor differences. Nonetheless, they narrate a very comparable story. The story of the green children is not necessarily a fabrication, at least according to the accounts of Ralph and William, who profess to believe the tale, 
However, the veracity of the story depends entirely on their testimony. Nonetheless, if we assume their credibility, we must also consider their sources. William drew on a vast array of written sources without attribution. On the other hand, Ralph's primary source remains identifiable as Richard de Colne, who had frequent updates on the girl and was the only person known to have direct interactions and contact with the children. While it is possible that the story was fabricated or embellished, it is difficult to ascertain that the motivation behind such an act would be, leaving us with a sense of uncertainty as to the truth of the tale. What is certain is that the accounts of William and Ralph differ in some respects, with the former expanding on the details of St Martin's Land, while the latter claims Richard had first-hand experience with the siblings. It begs the question, was the green tinge on the children's skin evidence of real-life phenomena, or merely a local legend? It is said that the truth often lies somewhere in the middle. In the case of the green children of Woolpit, this may be the case. While it is possible that strange children were found in this small village, perhaps their origins were not so mysterious. Some believe that the children were Flemish, while others think that their unique skin colour may have been exaggerated over time. The story has been interpreted in many ways, from a metaphorical analogy of racial differences to a tale of two cultures colliding with only Christianity connecting them. Nonetheless, one thing remains clear. The siblings were forced to adapt to a new way of life. And while the girl thrived in her new surroundings, the boy was unable to assimilate and soon perished. It is a story of the human experience of the importance of cultural identity, and in the ways in which we adapt to new environments. During the 12th century, when the story of the green children was first recorded, the culture of the time was vastly different from what it is now. The supernatural and folklore were widely believed and accepted as part of everyday life, and the idea of otherworldly beings was not as far-fetched as it may seem to us today. It is a time when history and folklore were not seen as separate entities, but rather intertwined and connected. The story of the green children was not a popular mystery at the time, but rather a strange and unusual occurrence that was recorded in only a few accounts. However, as times have changed and our culture has evolved, the story has taken on a new life and gained popularity among those who are more inclined to believe in the supernatural. It is important to remember the context and culture of the time in which the story was first recorded, as it can help us better understand and appreciate the significance and uniqueness of the tale. The Green Children of Woolpit narrative, with its peculiarities and enigmatic nature, may not have been intended to be one of the most mystifying riddles of all time. It was perhaps meant to be taken metaphorically, more than literally. A lyrical ode that captures not just the history of England, nor the folklore of England, but the assimilation, the loss of culture, and the adaptation to a new world. Nonetheless, despite the possibility of dismissing it as a mere folk tale, Several lingering questions remain. Why did two separate historians record it? Why was it presented in such a manner? These questions 
are what keep the story so intriguing, compelling us to delve deeper into the mystery. One way to approach this story is to view it as a narrative that has been embellished to fulfil a historical purpose. What possibly started as a factual account of two children became distorted and transformed into local legend and as a chronicled story. Despite this, however, the tale remains captivating and enthralling, even if not as enigmatic as originally perceived. It is important to remember that the reality of the story does not involve a subterranean civilization or extraterrestrial beings, but it is still a significant and worthwhile story to retell. The recounting of this tale serves as a reminder of the power of storytelling and how it can captivate the imagination and inspire wonder in the hearts of those who hear it. We value your support and feedback greatly. Our social media links and email addresses are easily accessible in our bio. And we warmly welcome you to connect with us to share any musings, recommendations or imaginative concepts for future episodes. Your input is a pivotal component in our ongoing growth and capacity to furnish exceptional content to our listeners. To us, accessibility is paramount. We are unwavering in our dedication to ensuring our podcast is accessible to all. Our entire library of past episodes are available at no cost on all major platforms, as well as on our website. Furthermore, if you appreciate the music we have exclusively composed for this series, you can listen to it in its entirety on Bandcamp, free of charge. We are profoundly grateful for your time and attention that you have devoted to us, and we thank you for being part of our riveting journey of exploration. Your support is invaluable to us, and we eagerly anticipate our continued voyage into the realm of the inexplicable. Thank you for your interest in As Yet Unexplained. The Occultaria of Albion investigates and explores a world that many believe does not exist. A world of the uncanny, where man's most ancient fears are allowed to run freely. It is not to be found in some faraway mystical land. This world is beneath your feet, at the shopping centre, across the road, and around the corner from where you live.
Discover the world of the Occultaria of Albion, paranormal publications and podcasts. Go to occultariaofalbion.co.uk to discover more.